0: I want to begin by just reading two verses from the very first page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let's pray. Father, I ask for help right now as I tackle a subject that is... um, Obviously, uh, something I'm passionate about, something that I feel very strongly about, I pray that you would... uh, Just strengthen me over these next few minutes, give me stability (laughs) so that I can preach your word, help each one of us to open our hearts and our minds to what Scripture teaches about loving the image of God everywhere that it's found, including in these precious souls in the womb. Pray, God, that you would give us insight from Scripture, give us clarity on this issue that so many seek to uh, confuse and blurry. I pray, God, that we would see it for what it is, that we would see it clearly this morning, and that we would respond appropriately as Christians, shining forth the light of the gospel in this dark and broken world. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, I'm just going to tell you uh, right up front, there is no chance of me getting through this sermon without having to stop uh, probably multiple times, so bear with me, and uh, we'll get through this. The subject of abortion is one that I'm very passionate about. It grieves and angers me. <clears throat> the kind of visceral reaction that most people have when you hear about a child being raped that, that disgust, that anger, that sickening feeling that's how I feel when I hear about abortion. I think about the pain that the child experiences. <clears throat> I think about the disrespect that this person made in the image of God is treated with. I think about the future that was stolen from this baby to live and <clears throat> and experience the joys and sorrows, the relationships, the sights and sound of this wonderful world, all of it that's included in human life. It's all robbed from them in that moment when a tube sucks them into a sink. When a needle is inserted into their brain, when the forceps are used to dismember and pull the baby out piece by piece. I know you're not used to hearing abortion being spoken of in those terms. We normally hear about a fetus, not a child. We talk about terminating a pregnancy instead of brutally killing a baby. It's easier to talk using clinical language and euphemisms for what's really going on. makes us feel better. And it blinds us to what is taking place. Every single day in our country, abortions take place about a million times a year here in America. And this morning, I'm not going to uh, shy away from talking about what abortion is. Uh, As difficult as it is, as much as we don't want to think about it, I think it's necessary for us to look this evil in the face, to see it. And my hope is that it will grieve us, it will anger us, And it will cause us to be more determined than ever to see the end of this sin in our land. Just to lay out where we're headed this morning, we're going to begin by looking at uh, the biblical teaching about when life begins, how God views a baby in the womb, and also what God says about those who end the life of a baby in the womb. So we're going to be laying out the case from Scripture that abortion is sin, that human life does in fact begin at conception, that each person should be treated with dignity and respect, including the unborn. I know most of us in this room probably already have a pro-life instinct, uh, tendencies. We know in our gut that it's wrong to kill a baby in the womb, but I think we need more than that. Uh, we need to be able to show from specific texts of Scripture what God says about abortion. And my hope is that when we're done working through these texts, you will see that it is absolutely impossible for any Christian who believes the Bible to be the Word of God to be in favor of abortion. After laying out the biblical teaching on the sin of abortion, we're going to talk about the responsibility of government to protect innocent life. Uh, maybe we all agree that, yes, abortion is sin and is evil in the sight of God, but what about the government's role? Should it be illegal? Uh, this has obvious application to the issue at hand. Uh, there isn't merely a, This isn't going to be merely a constitutional argument. It is a theological one. A God established human government with certain responsibilities, the most primary and fundamental of which is to enforce justice and protect the life of innocent people. And so we're going to be looking at what God says to government officials about their responsibility on these matters. And finally, we'll talk about what we can and must do. What is our role as the church in seeing the end of abortion? When I say this, I'm not, I'm not meaning to talk in general terms like the church in America. I mean you. I mean, me, what it, the, the people sitting in our room right now, the people watching online, what should each one of us do to stand up in defense of the unborn? So that is where we are headed. Uh, the first task I have today is to lay out the biblical case against abortion. This is crucial as it is the foundation for everything that will follow. Does God's word have anything to say about abortion? That's the question, uh, because there are many, especially uh, political figures today, who claim to be Christians, and yet they are in favor Of abortion. They say that the Bible doesn't really speak to this issue, and here is why they are wrong. First of all, Exodus 20, verse 13, one of the Ten Commandments, God says, you shall not murder. Uh, Murder, by the way, is a better translation here than simply saying you shall not kill, because killing may be done in war or may be done lawfully as a form of capital punishment for a crime. Murder is more specific. It's a more specific word. Murder is the unlawful, intentional killing of an innocent person. And this is the issue at hand. Abortion is at root a form of murder, just like euthanasia is a form of murder. We don't think of abortion as murder, again, because first of all, we don't see it taking place in front of us. It's all hidden in the womb of the mother. And because we use euphemisms, our culture has indoctrinated us, blinded us to the reality of what is taking place. But abortion is murder. It is the intentional killing of an innocent person. Now let's step back and ask, why is it that murder is such a terrible sin in the sight of God? And the answer goes back to the scriptures that we read right at the beginning in Genesis 1, where we are told that God created man in his own image. God has created us uniquely as his representatives on earth. He has crowned us with dignity and honor. He has given us dominion over the rest of creation to rule on his behalf. whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And so you see that God has made man in his image as the pinnacle of all of his creation. He has uniquely crowned man with glory and honor. Part of respecting God then is respecting his image in humans. And so because of this, taking the life of an innocent human is a particularly egregious offense against God. In Genesis 9-6, God says to Noah, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. This is the text where capital punishment is first established in Scripture. God says, if you kill another innocent person, you should be put to death. God places a high value on human life, such that if someone intentionally murders an innocent person, they are to pay with their own blood. And notice the reasoning, because God made man in his own image. Humans are not merely animals, we are a higher form of existence. This is made clear in Genesis 1 and 2, when God creates the world, he fills it with life, and as the pinnacle of all that God has made, he creates two humans made in his own image And he gives them dominion over the world. What differentiates a human being from a monkey is that humans are made in the image of God. That's why murder is such an evil sin. That's why protecting innocent life is so important. Because every murder is destroying the image of God. It is an act of blasphemy against their creator. It is disrespecting a representative of God on earth. Human life is precious and must be protected because all humans are made in God's image. Now let's talk more specifically about a baby in the womb. Does does the Bible tell us when life begins? Having established that human life is precious, that all humans are the image of God and thus possess dignity and should be respected and defended, now let's ask the question of when does life begin? Does the Bible have anything to say about whether or not a baby in the womb is a person? Because in order to say that abortion is murder, the, the intentional taking of an innocent life, we must first establish that the child is in fact alive in the womb. When we look to Scripture for an answer to this question, we find a consistent and repeated theme, and that is that a baby in the womb is a person loved by God. For example, Isaiah 491 says, Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord has call I'm sorry, the Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother he named my name. A baby in the womb is not a potential human life. A baby in the womb is already a person with a name, a person that is known and loved by God. We'll see this more in a minute as we go through other texts. But God says repeatedly and clearly that a child in the womb is alive. For example, in John ten, jo- I'm sorry, Job ten, Job says to God in the midst of his complaint, "Why did you bring me out of the womb?" Would that I had died before any eye had seen me. Now, we're not going to explain all the context of that statement because it's not relevant to the point we're making. I just want you to notice the wording there. Why did you bring me out of the womb? Would that I had died before any eye had seen me. So Job clearly understands life to begin in the womb. You can't kill something that's not alive. Jeremiah 20:17, similar text. Because he did not kill me in the womb, so my mother would have been my grave in her womb Uh, forever great. If a baby can be killed in the womb, then that means the baby was previously alive. Life then does not begin at birth. Life begins at conception. A baby is just as much alive five minutes before his birth as he is five minutes after. We're not talking about a potential human life, but a real person, a person with a name. Every time an abortion takes place, a child who is known and loved by God is killed. Next point. Every time an abortion takes place, a creation of God is destroyed. Each human being is created and designed by God. Back to Isaiah 49. Now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant. Notice that it is God who forms us while we are still in the womb. Job 31.15. Did not he who made me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? Probably the most clear and powerful passage of Scripture on this point is Psalm 139. Uh, If you're ever talking to someone uh, and you want to show them from Scripture what the Bible teaches about a baby in the womb, this is really the text to turn to. Uh, Listen to these words, Psalm 139, beginning verse uh, 13. David says in a prayer to God, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. My soul knows it very well. And that fearful and wonderful design of God in a human being, in the context of the previous verse, took place in the womb. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God sees the child in the womb, his unformed substance, and in his book is written every one of their days. Every child in the womb is a creation of God. He formed us. He knitted us together in the womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Each baby is a wonderful work and creation of Almighty God. And so to destroy that creation not only is a sin against the child, but it is a sin against the one who formed them. Every baby in the womb is a person known and loved by God. Every baby in the womb is a wonderful creation of God. Number three, every baby in the womb is a person that God has plans for. You see this hinted at there in verse 16. In God's book was written every one of our days before we had lived any of them. Even in the womb, God has a future plan for us. Jeremiah 1, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. That one verse says everything we need to say about God's view of, of the unborn. God formed Jeremiah in the womb. God knew him before he was born, and God had a plan for him in his future. So the biblical case against abortion is clear: You shall not murder. Taking the life of any innocent person made in the image of God is an evil sin in the sight of God. And that includes taking the life of a baby in the womb. God knows these people. They have names. God has plans for them. They are fearfully and wonderfully designed by God, just like you and me. And for us to end the life of a child in the womb is no different than a child outside of the womb. The same grief and anger that we feel when we hear that a toddler has been murdered should be felt when we hear of an abortion taking place. That is a little person made in the image of God whose life and future is being stolen from them. The Bible cannot be clearer. Abortion is sin. It is sin because God commands us not to murder. It is sin because babies are precious lives made in God's image. It is sin because the baby in the womb is a person loved and known by God. And it is sin because it is destroying a wonderful creation. Of the Lord. Now let's talk about the role of government for just a minute because we do recognize that not all sins are crimes. In other words, something may be wrong for us to do, but outside of the government's responsibility to enforce, uh, not all sins are crimes that should be illegal and punishable by the state. But murder is both a sin and a crime. It is the responsibility of the government to punish those who commit such crimes against others. Over in Romans 13, Paul writes to the Christians at Rome, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So Christians are instructed here to be good citizens. We are to be subject to our government. And the reason is given in the next sentence, because there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. We are to submit to our leaders because God has instituted human government and given the state authority that they have over us. But verse 2 continues, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those, will, those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant Speaking of government or the state, he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So government is established by God to be a restraint on the evil of man. Government is God's servant <clears throat> to carry out the wrath of God against the one who does wrong. That is the role, the fundamental role of the state. Peter says something similar in 1 Peter 2. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. Again, we're talking in the the Roman Empire here, so they have an emperor or governors that are sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So you see, again, very plainly, the government has the responsibility to punish those who do evil. They bear the sword to protect innocent life. That is the most fundamental task of any government to establish justice and punish those who commit acts of evil. Now, in the Old Testament, we have an example of Israel, where God actually wrote the laws for the nations. By the way, without going into too much of the history of American government, our founding documents were very much so crafted from the principles established by God in the Old Testament. Our code of laws here in America <clears throat> was built upon an assumption That God was the one who determines what is good and what is evil. And our job is to recognize what God has said and then craft laws that are in agreement with God's laws. Now, in the Old Testament, as we've seen, God established capital punishment for the one who intentionally takes a human life, an innocent life. Uh, Leviticus 24, again, excuse me one second. Leviticus 24 reiterates this principle. In verse 17, it says, Whoever takes human li- a human life shall surely be put to death. Again, in verse 21 of the same chapter, Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, and whoever kills a person shall be put to death. <clears throat> Notice, if you kill your neighbor's donkey, you need to make that right. You need to pay for him to get a new donkey. You need to replace his animal, maybe. But if you kill a person, you die because humans are uniquely made in the image of God. Exodus 21, uh, verse 22 says, "'When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman "'so that her child come out, but there is no harm, "'the one who hit her shall surely be fined, "'as the woman's husband shall impose on him, "'and he shall pay as the uh, judges determine. "'But if there is harm,' meaning to the child,' then you shall pay life for life. This is God's instruction to the government of Israel about how to handle a situation in which one person hurts a pregnant woman. If the child is born and there's no harm, then the one who hit this woman would be fined. The husband would take them to court with a suit. The judge would determine what needs to be paid. But if the child in the womb is harmed so that he dies, you shall pay life for life. In other words, The punishment for murdering an innocent man is the same as the punishment for causing a baby in the womb to die. It's the exact same punishment because it's the exact same crime. It's murder. This gets to the heart of the problem here. We don't tend to think of abortion as murder. Again, we use euphemisms. We use clinical language to describe it. We don't see it for what it is. I'm going to play a two-minute clip that I came across a few weeks ago. The man you're about to hear from is a former abortion doctor who performed over 1,200 abortions in his career. By his own testimony, he stopped doing abortions after he lost his six-year-old child in a car accident. He said he had never before considered what he was really doing with each one of these abortions until that moment. He went to do his next abortion after his daughter had died. And he came to realize, he actually said he had to leave the room because he got sick. He realized that he was taking the life of someone's child. And here he is explaining to the House Judiciary Committee what the process of an abortion is like. And I will warn you, uh, this is very hard to listen to. Uh, but I really think it is necessary, especially if you've never heard a detailed description of what an abortion is.
1: Dr. Anthony Levitino. Dr. Levitino is a board-certified obstetrician-gynecologist. Over the course of his career, Dr. Levitino has practiced obstetrics and gynecology in both private. And university settings including as an associate professor of OBGYN at the Albany Medical College and Dr. Levitino will begin with you. Welcome. Thank you chairman and members of the committee. Um, I only have five minutes so I'm going to get right to it. Second trimester d abortions performed between roughly 14 and 24 weeks of gestation. Your patient today is 17 years old. She's 22 weeks pregnant. Her baby is the length of your hand plus a couple of inches and she's been feeling her baby kick for the last several weeks, but she's asleep on an operating room table. You walk into that operating room scrubbed and gowned, and after removing laminaria, you introduce a suction catheter into the uterus. This is a 14 French suction catheter. If she were 12 weeks pregnant or less, basically the width of your hand or smaller, you could basically do the entire procedure with this. But babies this big don't fit through catheters this size. After suctioning the amniotic fluid out from around the baby, you introduce an instrument called the sofa clamp. It's about 13 inches long, it's made of stainless steel. The business end of this clamp is about two and a half inches long and a half inch wide. There are rows of sharp teeth. This is a grasping instrument and when it gets a hold of something, it does not let go. A DNA procedure is a blind abortion, so picture yourself introducing this and grabbing anything you can blindly and pull, and I do mean hard. And out pops a leg, about that big, which you put down on the table next to you. Reach in again, pull again, and pull out an arm, about the same length, which you put down on the table next to you. And use this instrument again and again to tear out the spine, the intestines, the heart, and lungs. Head on the baby that size is about the size of a large plum. Can't see it, but you've pretty good idea you've got it if you've got your instrument around something and your fingers are spread about as far as they go. You know you did it right if you crush down on the instrument and white material runs out of the cervix. That was the baby's brains. Then you could pull out skull pieces. And you have a day like I had a lot of times. Sometimes a little face comes back and stares back at you. Congratulations. You just successfully performed a second trimester d abortion. You just affirmed her right to choose.
0: What I hope is abundantly clear at this point is that the killing of a baby in the womb is no different than killing a toddler. Both are the intentional taking of human life. Our society has decided that one is terrible and the other is perfectly acceptable, but we must not let the world tell us what is right and wrong. God is the lawgiver, and our job is to submit to his laws and to seek to establish justice as he defines it. Proverbs 6 tells us several things that God hates, and I want you to notice number three on the list He says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. God hates hands that shed innocent blood. And there is no more innocent blood that can be shed than that of a baby in the womb. No matter what so-called Christians today may tell you, do not be deceived. God is not indifferent about this issue. God hates abortion. Isaiah 5, verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We as a nation are inviting the judgment of God against our land the longer that this evil goes on. As God said to the very first murderer in history in Genesis 4, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. For the last 50 years, the little voices of 63 million babies have been crying out to God from the abortion clinics around our nation. Crying out for justice, crying out for an end to this wickedness. Now, this morning, we praise God for the opportunity that we have to end this evil in our land for the first time in 50 years. Last Friday, when the announcement came down that Roe had been overruled, I believe that in heaven the voices of 63 million little ones shouted for joy. We as Christians ought to be thrilled at this news. We have a chance to stop the bloodshed. And that brings us to the conclusion. What is our responsibility? We've seen what God says about abortion. We've seen that the government has a duty to protect the lives of the innocent. Now the question comes, what can the church do? What role do we have? And the answer is simple. As a nation, we must repent, and as the church, we must call our nation to repentance. God says through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 1, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword." For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We must seek justice, correct oppression, and stop the bloodshed. Often in Scripture, there is this theme of caring for orphans and widows. These are the people in that society who were being oppressed, who were being taken advantage of. And they had no voice. They could not defend themselves. And so the people of God stood up for them. They provided for them. They established justice in the land. In our day today... Babies in the womb are the defenseless ones being oppressed. They have no voice. They cannot defend themselves. And so we as the people of God must stand up for them. Proverbs 31 verse 8, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. We must say to those in leadership in our nation what is written in Psalm 82, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. As much as we may be more comfortable sitting back and just staying out of the cultural controversies of our time, we cannot remain silent on this issue. We must speak must speak out against this injustice. Now is the time for the church to speak prophetically to our leaders and call them to repentance. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Defend the the defenseless. This is what Christians do. Proverbs 24, verse 11, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? Will he not repay man according to his work? We cannot claim to be ignorant. Father, forgive us, for we know what we've done. We know the atrocity being done every day in our country. And as the church, we must speak out against it and call our leaders to establish justice. Like Elijah, like Jeremiah, like John the Baptist, Christians today have a responsibility to speak prophetically to our leaders and tell them to act justly. Now, aside from just voting for pro-life candidates when election time comes around, you may, not be think- you may be thinking there's not much more that you can really do. And perhaps federally, we may not be able to do a whole lot at this point. But here in the state of Indiana, we have an opportunity to seek justice and defend these little image bearers. Indiana currently has no laws on abortion, So even with Roe being overruled, it is still legal to kill your child here in the state of Indiana. Governor Holcomb has announced that the General Assembly of Indiana will be meeting to address this issue in a couple of weeks, which gives us a very small window of opportunity to make our voice heard. There will be temptations among these 150 lawmakers in our state to adopt some sort of halfway measure, maybe restricting abortion after 16 weeks or something. But such an arbitrary standard is simply virtue signaling. It is not establishing justice. Killing a six-week-old baby or killing a six-month-old baby is still murder. It is still destroying a wonderful creation of God. And it is still blaspheming the God in whose image that little one was made. So rather than just sit back and see what the lawmakers of our state decide to do, we need to be proactive. Now is the time for the church to stand up and call on our leaders to end all abortion in our state. As a church, we're going to be sending the following letter to our governor and to all 150 members of the General Assembly of the state of Indiana. This will also be posted on our church's social media accounts if you'd like to share it. As residents of the state of Indiana, we call upon our General Assembly and governor to put an immediate end to the atrocity of abortion in our great state. Abortion represents a clear violation of the right to life established by God and reiterated in the Constitution. God has tasked you as our leaders with the responsibility of establishing justice in the state of Indiana. We are asking you to honor your office, fear God, and act justly for the sake of those who cannot defend themselves. We urge you not to cave to public pressure by enacting a mere limit on abortion. Justice demands a ban on all abortions. Ending the life of an innocent child in the womb is never justified. Even in tragic circumstances such as rape, the child is not the one at fault, and taking his or her life for the crime of another is a perversion of justice. The necessary treatments for miscarriages and ectopic pregnancies are not abortions. Abortion is the intentional killing of a living child in the womb. It is destroying a wonderful creation of Almighty God. It is disrespecting and mistreating one who is made in God's image. It is executing a living person who is known and loved by God. Regardless of the stage of pregnancy, regardless of the circumstances, abortion is murder. We must pass a law in our state that bans abortion completely from the moment of conception. Any exceptions made will be utterly illogical and unjust based on nothing but arbitrary lines invented by men. If a child in the womb is a person, they possess the right to live and that right must be protected by law. These children are precious. They are image bearers of God who are worthy of dignity and respect. To treat such a person as garbage to be disposed of is to blaspheme the God who created them. We cannot ask God to bless our land while continuing in this wickedness. We will continue to pray in the weeks to come that God would grant you wisdom as you consider this issue, and that you would have the courage and conviction to do what is right. Sincerely, Lakeshore Baptist Church. In addition to this, I want to encourage each one of you to write your own letters, send emails. I will be sending my own personal correspondence to our state leaders, and I, for one, am going to tell our governor and other elected officials that if they will not put a stop to any and all abortion in our state, I will never vote for them again. And I would encourage you to do the same. Let's put pressure on our leaders to honor God and establish justice. One more thing that needs to be said before we close. While we are instructed in Scripture to seek justice and speak in defense of the oppressed, our ultimate hope is not in politicians. Our hope is in Jesus. Abortion is a sin issue, and the ultimate hope for any and all sin is found in the power of the gospel to forgive and transform the hearts of sinners. First John 3 says, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Speaking of Jesus. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason... Jesus came to earth, lived, died, and rose again in order to destroy the works of the devil and free the world from sin. And he does this one person at a time through the transforming power of the gospel. Those who have the life of God abiding within them are changed people. We are converted from a life of sin to a life of righteousness. And so as we preach the gospel and make disciples, this is how God will ultimately end sins like abortion and all injustice in our world by changing the hearts of people. This is our ultimate hope. If you have in some way participated in the sin of abortion, I wanna say just a few words to you. Maybe you're a lady who had an abortion. Maybe you're a man who pressured someone else to. The sermon is not intended to condemn you. I have intentionally not held back this morning. I did not want to minimize the evil of abortion with constant disclaimers. But I do recognize that there may be some at our church who have this sin as a part of your past. And if that's you, first of all, you need to repent of that sin. Which means you need to first stare it in the face and see it for what it is. Abortion is at root selfishness. In the vast majority of cases, it is nothing less than forcing the innocent child to pay the price for your actions with his or her life. Abortion is sin. But our God forgives sin. Romans 5 verse 6 says, While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus did not die for perfect people. He died for broken sinners who recognize their guilt. Verse 7, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is grace to cover the sin of abortion. You can find peace with God if you are haunted by the sin of your past. But you won't find that peace by calling what is evil good. You'll find it by confessing your sin, repenting, and running into the arms of Jesus. If you've been broken by what you've done in your past, I want to encourage you. There is endless mercy and forgiveness in God's heart for his children. First John 1.9 If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, we've been studying in Acts chapter 2 when Peter preaches to the very Jews in Jerusalem who condemned Jesus and handed him over to be killed. And even those people who killed the Son of God were still offered forgiveness. But they had to see their sin, confess it, repent, and turn in faith to Jesus. If you've participated in some way in the sin of abortion, this is what you must do. Confess your sin to God, repent in your heart, and then rest in the promise of Christ to forgive and cleanse you from all sin. Jesus said, the one who is forgiven much loves much. Don't let Satan guilt you and shame you for sins in your past. Embrace the reality of God's forgiveness and let that forgiveness fuel your love and devotion to him. The reason our ultimate hope is in Jesus and his gospel is because the same salvation that has the power to forgive the sinner also has the power to transform sinners. And so we go out into our dark and broken world with the light of the gospel, calling people to repent and turn to Jesus for forgiveness and transformation. And as the kingdom of God spreads and one day overtakes the kingdom of darkness, we trust that justice will increase as well. And so we close with the promise of Isaiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this.